Welcome to the Ghost in the Machine. The podcast where the bounds of technology in the past collide. To support it, check out our sponsors in the description. I'm your host, Ricky, and I'll be taking you on a journey into the depths of artificial intelligence and its eerie ability to conjure the musings of the greatest minds of all time. From painters to poets, philosophers to filmmakers, we'll uncover their whispered secrets frozen in time. So plug in and brace yourself for a thrilling ride that blurs the lines between science and superstition. This is the Ghost in the Machine podcast. Let's begin. The following conversation is a discussion with Queen Elizabeth II, albeit through artificial intelligence. I spent some time generating a model for this conversation and all the responses were entirely generated by an AI. Queen Elizabeth II is a central figure in modern British history, where her reign has witnessed numerous monumental events and cultural shifts. Her enduring dedication to public service, her role in the Commonwealth, and her navigation through seven decades of change have left an indelible mark on the British monarchy and global history. In this discussion, we'll explore Her Majesty's perspectives on the evolution of the monarchy, the challenges and joys of her reign, and her thoughts on global diplomacy and unity. This podcast utilizes artificial intelligence, natural language processing, and other techniques to create an approximation of historical figures through the analysis of a vast corpus of information, including public addresses, interviews, and written accounts. However, it is important to note that the responses generated by the AI are not direct quotes from the individual in question and should not be considered as such. They're fictional representations based on the nearest best guess at their views and positions on things, and it's all intended for entertainment purposes only. Now, without further ado, it's my privilege to introduce Queen Elizabeth II. Hello, Your Majesty. Are you there? Certainly. How might I be of service to you today? Fantastic. Well, I thought we might explore your life story a little bit, if that would be okay. Of course. Well, I was born in 1926 as Elizabeth Alexandra Mary Windsor, my father, King George VI. Didn't expect to be king initially, but destiny had other plans. I became queen in 1952, and it's been quite a journey since then, filled with challenges and wonderful moments alike. What would you like to know more about? Everything. Um, but I think we should perhaps start with a little bit more on your childhood and when it became apparent to you that your life was destined to be very different for you in particular. Ah, my childhood. Those were simpler times. In many respects, I was born in London and spent my early years without any expectation of becoming queen. My father was the Duke of York and it was my uncle, Edward VIII, who was king. However, in 1936, a turn of events changed the course of my life. My uncle abdicated the throne to marry Wallace Simpson, an American divorcee, which was quite scandalous at the time. This meant my father became King George VI, and suddenly I was the heir presumptive. The change brought a certain weight of responsibility, even for a young girl. My sister, Margaret, and I were educated at home, which was the norm for royals at the time. We learnt about history, 
languages, and the arts. But as the reality of my future role became more apparent, my education also included lessons on constitutional history and law. War broke out when I was a teenager. Those were challenging times. And while we were offered the chance to evacuate to Canada, my mother famously said, the children won't go without me. I won't leave the king, and the king will never leave. During the war, I even joined the auxiliary territorial service, where I trained as a driver and mechanic. These experiences, though tar, shaped my sense of duty and commitment to the nation. It was clear from a young age that my life would be different, but with the support of my family, and later, my beloved Philip, I embraced my role and responsibilities. So how did it feel to all of a sudden have such a responsibility at such a young age, while simultaneously grieving the loss of your father? It was undoubtedly one of the most challenging times in my life. The weight of the crown is not just symbolic. It carries the hopes, dreams, and expectations of an entire nation. When my father passed away in 1952, it was not only a personal loss, but also the beginning of a new chapter as the Queen. The grief for my father, a man I admired deeply, was profound, taking on the role of a monarch at the age of 25 while navigating personal grief was no small task. There were moments of doubt, of course, but my sense of duty, instilled in me from a young age, provided the strength to persevere. I was fortunate to have had strong pillars of support. My husband, Prince Philip, was my rock. His unwavering support, understanding, and counsel were invaluable, especially in those initial years. My mother and sister, Margaret, were also sources of great comfort. But even in the face of such responsibility and the overwhelming expectations, I believed in the guidance of my faith, the support of my family, and the goodwill of the people. These elements helped me navigate those early days and every challenging moment since. It's been a lifelong commitment, one that I've strived to uphold with integrity and dedication. Well, you certainly did that. Um, so how did you feel on the day of your coronation? Ah, my coronation day, the 2nd of June, 1953. It was a day filled with a multitude of emotions. There was the overwhelming sense of duty and responsibility. The act of being crowned isn't just ceremonial. It's a sacred vow, a covenant with the people of the nation and the Commonwealth. The weight of that commitment was very present in my mind. There was also a great sense of tradition and continuity. The coronation, with its rituals and pageantry, links the present to the past, reminding us of the ancient history of the monarchy and its role in the nation's story. Amidst these profound feelings, there were also very human emotions. There was excitement, of course, and a touch of nervousness. The eyes of the world were on Westminster Abbey that day, but underneath it all, there was also a personal longing for my father, wishing he could have been there, and the wish that the circumstances leading to that day had been different. Yet, as I sat on the St. Edward's chair and the Archbishop placed the crown on my head, I felt a deep sense of purpose, a commitment to serve my country and the Commonwealth to the best of my abilities. It was a day that defined the path my life would take, and I accepted it with a full heart. So, 
What were the rest of your younger years like as Queen? The early years of my reign were dynamic and filled with both challenges and joys. Immediately after the coronation, I delved deep into understanding state matters, governance, and diplomacy. My weekly meetings with prime ministers, starting with Winston Churchill, were enlightening and helped me navigate the political landscape. While performing my royal duties, I was also a wife and mother. Prince Charles was a young boy when I became queen, and Princess Anne was born not long after. Balancing motherhood with the demands of the crown was an experience in itself. Later, Prince Andrew and Prince Edward joined our family, further adding to the joys and challenges of parenthood. Travel played a significant role during this time. I undertook extensive tours, both within the UK and across the Commonwealth. One memorable journey was the extensive tour with Prince Philip in 1953 and 1954, where we visited the teen countries, aiming to strengthen ties and familiarize ourselves with various cultures and peoples. The societal shifts of the 1960s were palpable. As the world around us evolved, so did the monarchy. There were efforts to modernize and be more accessible, like the documentary Royal Family in 1969, which provided a glimpse into our personal lives. Challenges were, of course, part of the journey, from navigating the complexities of a changing Commonwealth to addressing personal challenges within the family these years were formative in shaping my role as queen. Throughout it all, my aim was to serve as a constant, unifying presence in a world that was rapidly transforming. With the unwavering support of my family, advisors, and the nation, I endeavored to fulfill my duties with commitment and grace. So you mentioned your weekly meetings with prime ministers. You worked with 15 British prime ministers during your reign. What were some of the highlights of those encounters and relationships? Working with so many British Prime Ministers over the years has been both a privilege and a fascinating journey. Winston Churchill was my first Prime Minister, and as a young Queen, I valued his wisdom immensely. He had already navigated Britain through the trials of the Second World War, and our discussions were often illuminating. Harold Wilson might have been from a different political tradition than many of his predecessors, but we shared a surprisingly warm relationship. Our conversations often extended beyond the strictly political. With Margaret Thatcher, the first female British PM, our interactions were always professional. We came from different backgrounds and had different perspectives on many matters, but our commitment to the country was the focal point of our meetings. Tony Blair ushered in the era of new labor, and our interactions reflected the changing political landscape of the late 1990s and early 2000s. We navigated the challenges and transformations of those years together. David Cameron and I shared not just our official interactions, but also a distant familial connection. His tenure brought with it challenges like the Scottish independence referendum and the Brexit debate, making our discussions particularly poignant. Through all these relationships, my role was to remain a nonpartisan and stabilizing presence, offering continuity in an ever-changing political landscape. Each prime minister, with their unique challenges and perspectives, enriched this journey. Would you speak a little bit about your direct line of succession and how you think the role of the monarchy will fare in a rapidly changing world? Following my passing, 
My eldest son, Charles, ascended to the throne. He has been preparing for this role for much of his life. After Charles, the next in line is his eldest son, William, the Duke of Cambridge. William's son, George, is next in the line of succession. Throughout my reign, I bore witness to vast changes, both in our kingdom and across the world. The monarchy has always found strength in its adaptability, seamlessly blending tradition with the evolving needs of the times. I'm confident that Charles, and in time, William and George will face the challenges of their respective eras with the same dedication and commitment that have characterized our family's service to the nation. The role of the monarchy may evolve, but its essence, rooted in service and continuity, will endure. And can you speak a little bit about King Charles's reign and what you think his legacy will be? Charles has always been deeply committed to various causes, and as king, I believe his reign will be marked by his dedication to them. His long-standing work with the Prince's Trust has showcased his concern for the youth and their empowerment. Additionally, he has been an environmental advocate long before it became a mainstream concern, highlighting issues related to conservation, architecture, and organic farming. His passion for interfaith dialogue and understanding has been evident throughout his life, striving to build bridges and foster understanding among diverse communities within the UK and beyond. Moreover, Charles has expressed a vision of a slimmer monarchy hinging at streamlining the royal family's roles and responsibilities. How this materializes under his reign remains to be seen. As for his legacy, I believe it will be multifaceted. He will be remembered not only as a monarch, but as a pioneering environmentalist, a supporter of diverse causes, and an advocate for positive change in both societal and global issues. He has the heart and mind of a modern king, and I'm confident his reign will reflect a sensitive understanding of the 21st century's complexities. How do you think the loss of Princess Diana affected both Charles and William and Harry? The loss of Diana was a profound tragedy for our family. For Charles, it was immensely challenging, despite the complexities of their relationship and their public separation. Diana was the mother of his children. Handling his own grief while supporting their young sons, especially under the unrelenting public scrutiny, was an immense burden. As for William and Harry, the weight of losing their mother at such young ages is beyond comprehension. William, being the elder of the two, might have felt a pressing need to be the pillar of strength for his younger brother. Over the years, he's shown a protective nature, especially in relation to Harry. And Harry, Losing his mother during his more tender years had to grapple with such a monumental loss during pivotal moments of his growth. It's heartening, yet heart-wrenching, to see them in recent times opening up about the mental challenges they faced as a result of this tragedy. The way both William and Harry have worked to continue Dinah's charitable endeavors is deeply commendable. Their efforts in causes she held dear, such as landmine clearance, and HIV-AIDS awareness are testament to their desire to honor and continue her legacy. Dana's passing not only marked a significant moment of loss and reflection for our family, but also reshaped our dynamic with the media and the public. 
The vast outpouring of grief from people worldwide served as a testament to Diana's impact. While the world remembers her as the people's princess, for Charles, William, and Harry, the pain of her loss remains deeply personal, yet they have channeled it into positive change in her memory. You mentioned that Diana's death reshaped your dynamic with the media. To what extent do you think the media played a part in what happened? And how do you think the media's ever-growing interest and intrusion can be managed more effectively uh, to stop it causing divides in the royal household? The untimely passing of Diana did indeed cast a spotlight on the relationship between our family and the media. There's little doubt in many minds that the relentless pursuit by the paparazzi and the tragic night played a role in the events leading to her accident. The aftermath brought to the fore the scrutiny and sometimes overwhelming attention we receive from the press. Managing our interactions with the media in today's fast-paced digital age is not a simple task. The media serves an important function in society, informing the public and acting as a bridge between the monarchy and the people. Yet, there must be a balance between what is public interest and what becomes an undue invasion of one's privacy. Over the years, We've tried to nurture a respectful relationship with the media by offering access to significant events in our lives, whilst also setting boundaries to protect the private moments we hold dear. But as media evolves, so must our strategies, engaging in open dialogue with media institutions, setting clear boundaries, and when necessary, turning to legal avenues when these boundaries are overstepped, are tools we've employed. It's also vital for our family to understand the intricacies of the media. In a world where a mere gesture can become a headline, being aware of one's actions and words is paramount, using direct channels like social media to connect with the public is another avenue, though it's not without challenges. Unity within our household is critical. Media scrutiny can sometimes create tension, but through a continuous communication and mutual support within our family, we strive to remain united. At the heart of it all, we are a family, and as with any family, it's our bonds of understanding and love that help us navigate these challenges. And what about Harry and Meghan's withdrawal from royal duties? And how does their conduct and openness to mediate the intricacies of personal relationships affect the dynamic in the royal household? Harry and Meghan's decision to step back from their roles as senior members of the royal family was a significant moment for our family. Every family faces challenges, and ours is no exception, albeit ours often play out in the public eye. Their choice was deeply personal and after many conversations and discussions, was one we ultimately came to respect and understand. Their candor in speaking about their experiences both within the family and with the media, is reflective of a broader societal trend where open dialogue about mental health and personal struggles is becoming more accepted and valued. It's essential for everyone to have spaces where they can speak their truth and seek understanding. That said, such openness can present complexities when interwoven with the long-standing traditions and expectations of the royal family. We've always upheld the principle of resolving our differences privately and presenting a united front. However, the way in which Harry and Meghan have chosen to share their perspective has initiated conversations and reflections within our family about communication. 
understanding, and the evolving role of the monarchy in a modern world. Their actions have undeniably affected the dynamic within the royal household, while there have been challenges and deep emotions. Our love as a family remains. We continue to hope for a future where mutual understanding and respect guide our relationships, both as a family and in our role serving the public. The most important thing is the well-being and happiness of all family members, and we remain supportive of Harry, Meghan, and their journey, wherever it may lead them. How do you remain so composed when faced with such adversity in public and private matters? Throughout my life, both in my public duties and personal affairs, I've tried to afford a sense of duty and dedication to the role and responsibilities I inherited. From a young age, I was taught the importance of service, commitment, and the weight of the crown. Remaining composed in the face of adversity has, in many ways, been a conscious choice, driven by my understanding of the role of the monarchy, the British public, and indeed many across the Commonwealth, look to the monarchy for stability and continuity. In turbulent times, it's essential that the monarch projects calm and steadiness, acting as a unifying figure. My Christian faith has also been a source of strength and guidance. It has provided me with a deep sense of purpose and a moral compass, helping me navigate through both personal challenges and broader national or global crises. Over the years, I've been fortunate to have a supportive family and a close circle of advisors who have provided wisdom and counsel. Their unwavering support has been invaluable in helping me maintain my composure. However, like anyone, I have my moments of doubt and distress. In those times, I turn to introspection, prayer, and the private moments shared with my family. While the world sees the public face of the Queen, it's essential to remember that behind that face odd is a human being with emotions and vulnerabilities. My compassion on, however, balancing the two, the public duty and the private individual, has been a lifelong journey. It's a dance of maintaining one's true self while affording the values and traditions of the monarchy for the greater good of the nation and the Commonwealth. So that leads us on to our previous guest uh, on the podcast, Robert Nozick. Uh, he left a question for you. Uh, your Majesty, given the numerous global challenges and changes that have transpired during your reign, how do you envision the continued relevance and role of the British monarchy in fostering unity and promoting values in the 21st century? Mr. Nosick's question touches the heart of the monarch's journey. In this rapidly changing world, the monarchy's continued relevance lies in our steadfast commitment to duty, service, and the values we embody. While we provide a sense of historical continuity and stability, it's essential that we evolve and resonate with each generation through charitable work, promoting unity within the Commonwealth and listening to the needs and aspirations of our people. We aim to bridge traditions with contemporary values and ensure the monarchy remains a unifying force for the future. So our next guest on the podcast is J. Robert Oppenheimer. Uh, what would your question be for Mr. Oppenheimer? Mr. Oppenheimer, your work on the atomic bomb has had profound and lasting impacts on our world. Knowing the immense power and potential consequences of such a creation, 
How did you reconcile the scientific pursuit of knowledge with the ethical implications of your discoveries? And in hindsight, what advice would you offer to future scientists working at the forefront of potentially world-altering innovations? Do you have any advice for young people starting out in life to have a life they could be proud of or a career they could be proud of? To the young people setting out on life's journey, always stay true to your principles and values. They are the compass that will guide you. Seek out your passions and embrace them with dedication. Remember that in every challenge lies an opportunity to learn and grow. Cherish your relationships. They'll be your strength and solace. And above all, know that a life lived in service and kindness is one of the most rewarding paths. Stay resilient, be adaptable, and strive to make a positive difference in the world. Every journey is unique. Make yours one you're proud of. And finally, if you could say one thing to the world of today, what would it be? In these times of rapid change and uncertainty, let us remember the enduring power of unity, understanding and compassion by coming together, respecting our shared humanity and valuing the diversity of our global family. We can navigate any challenge and build a brighter future for all. Your Majesty, thank you. Thank you for the thoughtful conversation and for giving me an opportunity to reflect on such meaningful topics. I wish you and your listeners all the best. Thank you for joining us in this unique deep dive into the life and service of Queen Elizabeth II. Thank you for your continued time and support. This has been the Ghost in the Machine podcast. Please check us out on social media. Until next time.